This episode is sponsored by Bigger City. Thank you so much for supporting us and helping our show to grow. Hello, and welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Trevor Kizon. I'm a super chip, and today I'm a, I'm a holly jolly elf boy. It's the holiday season. Our tree is up. The lights are up. We just got to put some ornaments on it. And I'm I'm ready for. I got my trio of hot cocoa. <laughs> and he does mean us. Best three way ever. <laughs> he does not mean us. <laughs> just to be clear. Hi, my name is Michael Willer. I am a chubby chaser, and I I suppose I'm a holly jolly Santa boy. Because I have grown quite a lot of white in my beard over the last few oh, months. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's starting to come in. It's happening. Daddy Michael is <laughs> right around the corner. <laughs> Your daddy era. Episode title. <laughs> there oh, we go. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear. <laughs> hey there. My name's Don. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And this week, uh, at, at by the time this releases, I will be a happy, dandy San Francisco boy. Ah. I'll be traveling up to San Fran and mm. uh, haven't been there in... God, eight years. So hmm. looking forward to it. Not since you left your heart. <laughs> oh, boy. Hi, I'm Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And uh, yes, I am. I am the elf's assistant. Uh, I, I am the person putting up the tree, putting up the lights, putting up the ornaments. You should have seen him running around earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did the whole episode like that? <laughs> uh, well, welcome. Welcome to today's show, everybody. The first of two. We're recording in person, if you couldn't tell by our, once again, chaotic Wait, energy. should we all hold hands again like I make Steve sometimes? <laughs> yes, like people Yay. can see. Oh. I can't reach. Uh, uh, we're doing it, Yay. listener. Oh, we're doing it. Okay. <laughs> people can even hear me. Who's energy gonna, circle. Yeah. Who's going to stop him from doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you try and stop me. <laughs> it's the holiday season, and we're at this time of year, we're especially grateful for our Patreon supporters, for Bigger City, for everyone who listens and thinks of us is decorate your home, light your hearth. Um, Did watch you say your, hearth? Yes. Is that how it's pronounced? No. <laughs> light your heart. Her hearth is how they take you to the, the <laughs> funeral when you've got a, a speech hearth is, uh, <laughs> And feel mirth and merriment. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bigger City. Thank you, Big Fig, for having us as a... Um, you know, this is the time of year for donating to causes that you believe in. So find us on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. Uh, welcome. Welcome yes. to the show. Should we dive um, right in? Oh, well, hold on. Uh, mm-hmm. And just a reminder that next week we are uh, watching Genie, which is available to watch on Peacock. Oh, with right. Me- me- with, with Melissa McCarthy. It's uh, I'm excited to talk about it because it's a fun yeah. holiday watch. Yeah, it's uh, it, yes, we, we can't talk about it yet, but I've yeah. already seen it. And I'm yes, also excited to talk about it. Hit that button. All right, let's do it. We need some like jazzy Christmas music for next week. Okay. Cha-cha-cha. Jazzy, jazzy I mean, Christmas music. Time. Now, um, I'm I mean, I'm picturing could... dancing ducks during that. I don't know why. I think because the, it's kind of quack. Like quack. It kind of sounds like quacking. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Picture them with little top hats and canes. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Dan, get us on track. Harvey Guillen. Oh my goodness, Harvey he's, Guillen. He's in the media once again. He What's is. he doing there? He's, he's quite the fashion icon. We cover Harvey Guillen's fashion yeah. more often than any other fashion well, icon. As well, we should. Well, and I think it's because he has this he's just always on board with fashion. Like he's just done this new spread in Irk magazine. That's I R K and a photo shoot by Robert Ashcroft. And the title is uh, ghouls just want to have fun, <laughs> which is a riff on his role in uh, what we do in the shadows. Yes. So it is a really wonderful photo spread and interview with mm -hmm. Mr. Guillen mm -hmm. and all about like his sense of coming to style, his sense of like how they set up the photo shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some really fun stuff in there. And also talking about how he moves in the clothes, which I think is really so important, yeah. mm -hmm. especially for our audience, yep. you know, cause we often think of fashion as the opposite of comfort, mm -hmm. yeah. um, it, <sighs> which if you're fat would be pants. <laughs> you know, um, so it, so he really talks about like having this jacket and having the lot, like he had these sequined pants and he says they were so comfortable to move. And he says, you wouldn't think that sequence would be comfortable, but they're lined. And he just glides in them. Mm -hmm. I understand that focus too. Oh yeah. Like, I associate looking good with discomfort. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not just pants, even like shirts being restricted, restrictive or overly hot, made of bad materials. Any, I cannot wear a um, cotton poly blend because I'll just, it'll burn yeah, up. But yeah. no matter what you think of Harvey Gann's look, he looks so comfortable in everything he wears, like every single thing he wears. He really does. Mm. Looks like something I would be very comfortable in. Well, yeah. I, I actually think I look at him, I, I look at what he's wearing. I'm like, oh my God, isn't that so uncomfortable? Cause I'm imagining, cause he wears a lot of fitted stuff like the, mm -hmm. like what he wore to the Oscars. And a lot of this stuff is really high fashion fitted and, and not, a, not what you'd expect a fat person to be wearing to hide, but a fat person looking to showcase how beautiful they are. But it's, it's multiple layers with most of his stuff. He'll have one fitting thing and then he has loose stuff over it that gives a certain flow. Yes. That I always, that, that's the part that looks, that speaks to comfort. But me. in this spread, I, there is no, I mean, if there, there like are fewer he, layers, there are fewer layers. And also <laughs> like he's wearing this, he calls it a trench coat. I call it chiffon. <laughs> it's <laughs> just it's nothing underneath. It's really diaphanous and it's gorgeous. Of course. Um, not just, you know, not just him, but the garment. One thing I appreciated was that he he sort of tells the story about how he got his big break in Hollywood, which mm. was what we do in the shadows mm. and auditioning for it and kind of going all out. But I, I really like how he encapsulated it at the end, which is I, I may have to condense this a little bit, but essentially he says, I've made a career out of being the wild card. If you look at my resume, I've made a whole career out of being a character not written for me, which in the case of mm -hmm. his character and what we do in the shadows meant to be 25 years older. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this, and so he just, is able to, he says, cause so you know, for a long time, you know, all these, all these things I was told, you're too short, you're too stout, you're too Latin, you're too queer. All the things that were considered strikes against me were also my strengths and not my weaknesses. That's why I made me stand out. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, his career. That's his whole career. That's his career in a nutshell. And being able to take that for that particular audition, he modeled his look. He went in with a look mm -hmm. into the room after Guillermo del Toro. I love that which, so much. And and it, I, I love wait, that the, he, if I, if I can just catch the story. If I can just catch up. The reason he did that is because the, the role was Guillermo and he's like, what does a Guillermo look like? Yeah. And he found Guillermo del Toro's coffee table book. Yes. And so he <laughs> he patterned himself on the author photo. And Guillermo del Toro nice. is, if you're not familiar, is a director, writer-director who has this, he, he's adorable, but he has this kind of like older fat nerd look yeah definitely. like his hair is parted in the yeah. middle he's got glasses he's got a beard 
And I kind of love that he went in with that. Yeah. No, I just love seeing that and that, I don't know, fat icons inspiring yeah. mm-hmm. other fat icons. And mm-hmm. let's let's be upfront. Like one of the reasons why we cover him so much is because of his uniqueness and embracing this stuff and putting himself out there by being himself. Willingness like, to talk about it. Yeah. Like, like yeah. there are a lot of other fat actors we talk about a lot, but we never talk about their clothing. Because they wear standard fat man clothing that makes them fade into the background very often. Well, and yeah. talking about the experience of being fat in Hollywood, mm-hmm. in his case, like a lot of, you know, a lot of fat people, I think, are just trying to do the thing that they're out to do and aren't necessarily trying to be activists. I mean, we came in, into this with Lizzo after at the end of 2020, 2021, whenever mm-hmm. it was. Time, time is a flat circle. We haven't brought that old gem back yeah. in a while. <laughs> Um, and so it's it's always something to celebrate when you see somebody actually doing that and talking about life as a fat person. I also want to broaden this to the point about how he got the role was very accidental. This is how how he got the role in. I mean, he, he'd had a long career sort of in the background and foreground at Disney because mm-hmm. he was doing a lot of kids shows. He was doing a lot of, you know, he was like, he was like that fat character. He was like the fat kid in the background in a lot of Disney shows. Mm-hmm. So he gets this big break. And how did he get this big break? He got it by serendipity and by accident. But here's what I, the takeaway that I have from it. He says he was in a period of his life when he was just saying yes to things. Like he made this sort of existential decision mm-hmm. to, I'm just going to say yes. Year of yes. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I've done it. Yeah. Year it's of a yes. Good thing. And so he was at a party, a very like intimate little gathering. And he gets a text the next day uh, you should really audition for this role. And he's like, excuse me, who is this? <laughs> like, he has no idea. And like a stranger, so he calls his agent because he's in the year of saying yes, right? And so he's going to say yes to this audition. He doesn't know what it is. It's okay. And then he fig- then he finds out, oh, it's a really important casting director. Mm-hmm. And that's when he does the whole thing of like, okay, I'm going to make this count. He does something he's never done, which is actually dress for the role. I'm not sure if that's what got him the role, yeah. but it's what made, I think it changed his energy, certainly. Well, he's that, that, this is what he talks about with that character character multiple times is that the costume puts him in like in that character like he can't help but be the character once the costume goes on and the first experience of that was in that audition yes he doesn't Mm -hmm. even remember what he did in the audition because he just as he describes it just became the character for five Mm -hmm. minutes and a lot of actors have that experience too because of the adrenaline level while auditioning you just can't remember but he echoes that transformation of what the what the clothing does to you in the photo shoot in Irk magazine, he talks about like how when I put this on, I just had to move that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just it's 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 a thing that a lot of actors talk about. It's why a lot of in the old days when theater had a lot more money, <laughs> uh, you know, they would design down to the underwear because that's the thing that's a, that's on your skin. Oh, interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. Well, anyway, it's as always fun to feature him. Yeah, very. It's it's always a positive story. Put it that way. Like, mm-hmm. We always like having his energy on the show. I I also love how he pushes back against the, uh, talking about coming out is letting people in. Hmm. That is brilliant. Yeah, that is so brilliant. It's it. Yeah, that it's not coming out. It's letting people in. It, which is a, yeah. I it's love exactly that perspective. Right. I love exactly that. right. All right. Well, next up, not not quite as uplifting. No, still but, interesting. Oh, I, I think, it is. think it is. I think it is. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's certainly positive. So the t- headline we're talking about in Screen Rant is Love Actually, the movie, Love Actually director regrets controversial body shaming jokes in the 2003 Christmas movie. So Richard Curtis, um, 
Did he write it? He's the director of the movie. He's the writer too. So, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, writer director of the famous. It's very also popular. worth noticing, just as a quick aside, the movie we're watching next week, Genie, was also written by him. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that mm-hmm. either. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's a good good connection there. He, um, his daughter, a few years ago, his daughter called him out on the fat shaming jokes in the movie, <laughs> uh, all aimed at a particular character that I've seen this movie and I don't really remember. I don't remember these jokes. I well, don't either. And you would, I mean, I, I've, I've only never, seen it once. Though. I've never seen the movie, but so I immediately looked up the actor and like, I would never remotely think of her as the fat girl. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's but just not Twiggy. Ma- her, so but, Martine... McCutcheon's yes. character, Natalie. I think it's important, I think especially for our younger listeners, to take, let's all go back in time to 2003. Yes. <laughs> and 20 years ago. I think just the body culture was so different. And oh, I was yeah. I, I was thinking Completely about this article and talking, yeah. I don't remember who I was talking to, but kind of talking about like 2007 with Britney Spears at the VMAs. Just to, Am I, 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 I don't forgot rem- that I was so not plugged in at the time. So it was Britney Spears. It was kind of when she was, you know, in a mental health crisis, it was her kind of coming back the VMAs and she was criticized for how fat she looked during oh. the performance and so fat and so out of shape. And it's like, she looked like a normal human being. Yeah. Right. But it was just this, it was kind of like peak nightmare body culture. So 2003, yeah. I feel like is leading up to that. Like when mm-hmm. we reached peak, insanity in body culture and analyzing women's bodies. Another frame of reference, 2003 is only two years after Shallow Howl came out and people mm. thought that was a good idea. Yeah. Well, and sh- I mean, we've talked about Shallow Howl, which is, it, it's a mixed it's bag. A mixed bag. It's like a mixed it's bag. not yeah. all bad. It's certainly, um, I think misguided, but I think ultimately tries to go the right directions. But I feel like a lot of the whiffs that it makes are things that would be blatantly obvious now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so anyway, this, at the time, and the, actually the article, this particular article does talk about Shallow Howl's context. Um, you know, the director says, look, I, was, I wasn't observant about it. I, I, was, I missed it, and I, I regret it. Well, and I think that's the right way to put it. I wasn't observant. Why? Because the entire culture wasn't yeah. observant. Yeah. It's, and it's hard to hold, you know, there, and I think the article does a pretty good job of kind of underlining that, you know, there are good qualities to old movies that are sort of of their time, even though they have bad things in them or at least harmful things in them that you you know could watch and be slimed by. And then there are plenty of older movies that are just plain terrible and should be avoided for having no redeemable qualities whatsoever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this isn't necessarily one of those movies. Whether or not you like romantic comedies is a different story. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, I, I don't want to be like, it's fine, but I think it's important <laughs> t- for these things to kind of exist in pop culture and to give a window into like, this is what the world was like at the time. And this is what was, you know, people thought was okay to do. It's kind of like signposts on the, on our evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially when the key creative of that project comes back and says, I was wrong. I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Like he didn't have to do that. No, he could have just shut up. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, you know, you talk about signposts on the road. Mm-hmm. 
it's also so important for context because it's so easy, especially in any sort of activism, to get caught up in like, nothing's changed. It's all for naught. It's mm-hmm. just as we're having this, we're talking about the same things that we were it 40 really years ago. It can feel that way sometimes. And, it's, mm-hmm. it, and, yeah. and while there's a lot of truth to that, it's never exactly the same. That's something, a really good point. Something is different now. It's almost like it, we haven't gone in a circle. We've gone in sort of a helix. So we may be in the same point in, in two oh dimensions, God. but not the third. <laughs> it's interesting. Now I'm actually kind of wondering, like I haven't seen Shallow Hell since it was in theaters. Yeah. Like I'm wondering if I rewatched it now, how would I? I mean, should we do I mean, that? I don't think. Should, I we, think <laughs> should we do another thinner uh, episode? And you know what? We're, we're going to put out a, Halloween. Uh, we're going to put out a question <laughs> at the end of the episode to our listeners. Would they like a Shallow Hell episode? And if we get enough responses for it, we'll consider it. Sure, I'm yeah. on board. I mean, I think like the should we do the worst Valentine's Day episode <laughs> ever? No, because I think there's a lot wrong with Shallow Hell, but there's its intention. I think was positive. Well, and the, and certainly talking about the actress who played the body double, yeah. like the experience on set. Yeah was great. Yeah. Like, so the, the, the environment that the movie was made in was, didn't seem to be. And I actually that. know, I think I, I, I know one of the extras who was in it and she was like, I liked the movie and she, you know, she's fat mm-hmm. and she's like, I'm sorry. I like the movie. Of course I don't say that in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, like if you watched it at the time, yeah. Right. Like I remember for the first, like I, yeah, I had lots of issues with the movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it was the first time I felt like a movie had gone out of the way to make the statement. You are human. Yeah. We see you as a human being. Which at the time was radical. Yeah, it was really radical at the time. So I don't know. I am always apprehensive because like I remember going back to rewatch the Austin Powers movies <laughs> and like knowing <laughs> knowing everything about Fat Bastard. I'm like, okay, that's gonna be really bad. And it's like, wow, this is somehow worse than I remember. And I remember it being really, really, really bad. I I think the reason is that, you know, when you first watched it, you just cringed. When you rewatched it, you knew why you were cringing. Yeah. 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 Well, dear listener, if you have any uh, thoughts on love actually, and those scenes that we're discussing here that none of us can remember, (laughs) feel free to write in. Yeah. I'm curious how bad they actually are. I'm sure I'll end up rewatching it because Michael loves them. But in the meantime, yes. Do you hear it approaching? I do. She go, I summon you! That Watch 2023! <laughs> I need that energy, Don. <laughs> Can I have some, please? Well, it's available now for $9.95 on content. I said six pieces of chocolate. That was, that was all the gas I had in the tank. For that. I'm, uh, I'm, gone I'm feeling a little like like a nervous, nervous mouse in a field. That, that quick what? shift from uh, thinking about uh, Shallow Hell and Austin Powers to Fat Watch, which it's a good vibe. It's I like this piece. It's, yeah. it's sweet. It's simple. It's uh, a piece in the New York Times talking about bellies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 sort of sweet in yes. a way. Yeah. It is. So it's a, it's a woman in the New York Times writing about this is what my belly looks like. Amelia Tate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how she like she starts it with an anecdote about. Basically, getting <laughs> accused of being pregnant uh, like, what? while in, what? in a foreign country, like, oh, when are you expecting? And and like the tour Twice. guy keeps he doubled she, down. Yeah, it's like no, what? what no, we, oh, you don't understand the question. When are you? How long have you been pregnant? You know, it's like I mean, really. And she keeps like she says fifteen times. No, no. Honestly, no, it's no. A, that's probably ne- a question best to avoid in yeah, any situation. Never. There, I feel never. like even if I don't see a, a woman 
you know, with her like doing the yep. back arch, like pregnant lady yep. walking. Currently I passing never another human ask. being between I, her legs yeah. in that moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never, <laughs> never ask that it, question. It's cultural. There are just there are a lot of cultures where that is not intrusive. It is caring. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, moving on. But the point is, she talks about how we've lost touch with what bellies actually look like. Yeah. That there's just this. It's supposed to look like this superhero. Marvel movie Washed version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked, I, or defective. I really yeah. liked the hypothetical she created where like, what if, you know, uh, some aliens came down to earth to try and discover, you know, what abdominal body types stood out the most. And she, you know, if you lined up a whole bunch of people, it would be the people with the washboard abs that as would the stand out mm-hmm. as unusual. Yeah, as yeah, the you might look at it as a disability. Like, oh, you're missing a part of your body. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and essentially the entire article is just a really like easy to yeah. the point breakdown of this is normal. This is just normal. This they also is- pointed out something I've never heard discussed directly in one of these articles when they're talking about in the search for plus size models, a lot of these companies are oh. looking for a hypothetical body type mm. that doesn't exist, it's yes, the, which yeah. is a hourglass figure with washboard abs. Well, or no flat. belly. Yeah. yeah, no belly. No flat. belly. Yeah. yeah, she has you know? to, they have to be plus size to a degree, but they're not allowed to have a belly. Yeah, which that's just not the way, like you would have to have it surgically removed. Which that's is the only which way. is why I think you have a lot of plus size female models who are like, oh, size 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because after that, they start showing a more visible belly mm-hmm. and um, they have to, and they can't airbrush Which it is so weird because like, if I'm buying clothes, I need to know what it's going to look like on me. Well, you and know? I think that's the thing because there are no clothes made for that body. Yeah. We can't use that body to model it. Yeah. And there, therefore we can't use those models. There was a post that I can't remember what company, what the clothing brand was, but it went viral because they used, you know, as a, some uh, plus size women's clothing and they used an apple-shaped woman mm. to model the skinny jeans. So it was, you know, a, a woman with a, a large belly with, you know, kind of a high-waist jeans and, you know, more, like, skinnier legs, not the traditional, like, pear shape you would see to model those jeans. Okay. And all these women so excited to see, like, oh, my God, this is what it'll actually look like on yes. me. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know what it'll look like because of the model they chose for this. Mm. Um, and how there are so many women with bodies like this that don't get to see how clothes would look like on them. Yeah. I really wonder how many people out there, like what the percentage of people out there is that that don't see themselves like in the, that kind of advertising. That like, do they just don't, like, I don't. I would suspect it's probably 80% or higher. Yeah, mm-hmm. like huge numbers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a, a really uplifting New York Times article. It's it's a good little, it's a good little holiday, holiday cheer as you, as you grow, you, if you get your holiday belly going on, mm-hmm. just know it's normal. Your, your belly, like a big bowl of jelly <laughs> is worthy and perfect and ready for the season. <laughs> I don't really know how we transition. And I don't know either. Of the season. Uh, since it's now Christmas time hell. and this is the season where we have to start listening about the war against Christmas. Uh-huh. Let's talk about the origins of the war against Christmas. What? The what? first people to cancel Christmas uh-huh. canceled it because of fears of gluttony. Oh, literally that was the reason why Christians and the Puritans tried to ban Christmas was the fear that gluttony uh, would be inspired by these feasts and the drinking and all that stuff. Interesting. So, as we move into the Christmas season, we got this awesome letter 
yeah. about gluttony from one of our listeners. It is, the, it is one of our best letters. This is, yeah. this is a great letter, and Dan is going to deliver it with enormous oh, gravitas. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm we down. We need the music. We do. It is. There's a procedure here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so our listener writes, I have a few questions for you. <laughs> but actually, no, before we get to that, there's a, there's a huge preamble. So the topic is Dante's Inferno, the poetic work by Dante Alighieri. I am curious, says our, our writer, I'm curious what you all think uh, about the situation, which I thought quite niche, and I'm sure plays out in other classrooms under different circumstances. I'm a PhD candidate in the humanities in a large public university in the US, and I'm currently the grader for a course on Dante's Inferno, the first part of the Divine Comedy trilogy. In the trilogy, Dante, the poet, narrates Dante, the character, through a, a hell and purgatory and heaven, constructing a landscape where some sins are punished via the contrapasso, which is a punishment that resembles the sin. Uh, some pay for their sins in purgatory and some reach paradise. Early in Inferno, that's the work, uh, those guilty of the sin of gluttony suffer under a relentless rain while lying flat in a waterlogged putrid terrain. Although the sin is gluttony, fatness in no way is prominent among the sinners. Uh, in fact, they're barely described at all. So as a homework assignment, the professor asked students to place a contemporary figure in one of the circles of Inferno they discussed so far and explain their choice. While many students chose sins other than gluttony, some put political and corporate leaders in the greed circle, others placed characters like Blair from Gossip Girl in Lust, some did condemn contemporary characters for their gluttony. Some of the posts emphasized characters who overconsume in a general way, but there were very few descriptive posts focused on fat. One student included a gif of Homer from The Simpsons being force-fed donuts by the devil, citing Homer's, quote, abusive tendencies towards eating, unquote, while another placed Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The student described how Matt gained 70 pounds one season only to become shredded later and has, quote, an unhealthy relationship with food. The post suggests that the character redeems himself once he gets shredded in a future season, though he does concede that at a point he might be guilty of vanity. These examples do at least two things. They posit fatness as the result of gluttony, something Inferno does not explicitly indicate, and link fatness with a lack of health. One of the students' posts directly solicited other students' input re-Homer, uh, though there were no responses. As a fat man and a gainer happy with his body, I found the gif amusing, but I'm opposed to the conflation in the posts between fatness and unhealthy tendencies, as I imagine you, you have too listening to the pod since the beginning. I'm also concerned by the effect the discussion board might have on students who might have body image issues or be particularly sensitive to shame in relation to eating. So I have a few questions for you. What do you think of the posts? Admitting that I haven't included the entirety of the post, do you find the student's post objectionable? If so, would you have intervened in the discussion if you were the professor? Assuming you find at least some of the posts objectionable, would you consider modifying the activity in future and feature different portions of the inferno? If you think the assignment and posts were fine, what factors into that conclusion? And lastly, do you think it's necessary to do anything different at all? Or should students in a class about hell sort of expect to encounter unpleasant things like this? Loving hearing you discuss all the listener letters and hope this isn't too long or niche a topic. Thanks for all the work you do on behalf of fat people and those who love them. Thank you. Wow. Yes. Can I just interject real quick before we actually dive into this? The reactions that uh, this letter got from the four mm -hmm. of us were hilarious. We are the nerdiest podcast ever. Like, <laughs> you should have seen the, the feed just light up and then we're like, I have something to say. I have something to say. Mm -hmm. I want, I'm ready. Save I'm ready. 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 Save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. That's our, our rallying cry when we're really Nerds. excited about a topic and yeah. we, we want to talk about it, but we have to wait. Um, um, 
So my suggestion, and you guys can chime in one way or the other, is that we answer these in order just to keep it orderly. Yeah. Is that okay? Does yeah. that make sense? That's fine. Okay. So first question, uh, what do you think of the posts, the student posts? I, I have my response. Okay. Um, well, Dan, you've got one locked and loaded. Uh, completely expected. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is in, in this day and age, conflating quote unquote obesity with gluttony, with unhealth, with, with basically obesity in, and we've talked about this many yeah. times on the podcast, you know, fatness is conflated with all other sins. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. the first thought that comes to mind when you say the word gluttony is fatness and consumption. Well, but not just that. You know? All the other sins are subsumed in it because fat people are slothful. Fat people are evil. Fat people are greedy. Fat people are, like, you can take any of the seven mm-hmm. and you can fold them all into gluttony, at least according to our modern media. Right. Um, yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. I think, do I find them objectionable? I mean, yes, in that I wouldn't want to encounter that myself, but no, only in the sense that this was invited. Yeah. Like, And this is a this classroom was, setting, right? So, yeah. like, you can't learn if you don't, put out the ideas that you need to discuss, you know? So So using it, taking that as an example to have a teaching, you know, teaching moment. Um, So I guess what that's the thing is like as a teacher, you know, we're not, we're no longer talking at Dan has experience with this. Mm -hmm. We're no longer talking about, you know, discussion in terms of like our podcast Mm -hmm. where we're all just positing opinions. We're talking about education and handling a student's learning of a subject, Mm -hmm. which is now starting to get stickier because you know, the students are putting their own baggage into that subject. Mm-hmm. So, which, which they do anyway, but this assignment not only invites that, yeah. but, in, but mandates it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't look at your baggage when you're discussing the subject of baggage, then <laughs> you're not going to learn anything about your baggage. My baggage, so, baggage has baggage. <laughs> I think this is such a like surface level, like yes. I think those are like such surface level gluttony, like perfect examples so like I'm not offended because I feel like it's just what it's very like, expected. It, it's expected. I mean, it's like it, the Simpsons thing is like literally Homer being punished for his gluttony when he goes to hell. Like it's that's. I think so. I think, for me, that I think the danger with yes, it's very expected. Mm-hmm. I'm not shocked in the slightest. I don't think anyone in the room probably was, but it does perpetrate the idea that every single fat person is inherently a sinner. Yes. Yes. And that I think is a dangerous idea. Well, that's implicit in our modern culture. Right. Exactly. Well, it's again partially because it never applies to you, right? It's it's very easy to brand someone else a sinner for yeah. what you can see on them. But if we're going to discuss my situation, mine is much more specific to me and is very excusable. Or or worse, yeah. or worse, I you you're you crucify yourself as much as you do anyone yes. else or worse. Yes. And then I feel like the sort of lashing out at other fat people, like that's where you get a lot of that fat on fat crime. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, which is insidious. Well and and as the as the writer points out from the poster, the the atonement, right? Because that's where we get the the myth of the good fatty, right? The yeah. good fatty is atoning for their sin. Right. But right. here's something that I found very interesting. Uh, as part of my research for the bit, I went into uh, research of the seven heavenly virtues, mm-hmm. right? The opposite of gluttony is not abstinence from food. Mm-mm. The word is temperance yes. that we use. Mm-hmm. The word temperance does not specifically reply to food in anyone's mind. Nope. It can be 
That's one of the things that falls under its umbrella. But temperance specifically refers to alcohol in general. That's usually well, the thing it's referring in, to. in the 19th century, yeah. But also the origins of gluttony. Well, that's what I was curious about, yeah. Okay, so the origins of gluttony, it was not a sin. There were no original seven deadly sins. That's not what they were intended to be. The the seven deadly sins started off as the eight dangerous thoughts. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was created by a monk as advice for other monks to better experience God in your life. These are behaviors you should avoid. No, no. Thoughts you were better avoid. Yes, thoughts. Thoughts. And that's right? really important. Or, or behaviors. In, well, and, and that's really important it's in Christianity both. if yeah. we talk about the credo and things like that. Yeah. The, the, the thought as a sin is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, gluttony had nothing to do with food. That, I mean, it right. did, it did, yeah. but it was primarily the overconsumption of anything to the point of obsession. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Your, your mind is supposed to be clear to be thinking about God all the time. You can't do that if you're always thinking about well, lunch. Well, that sounds a little gluttonous later. to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you're supposed to clear room on your plate for God. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. So the concept of gluttony changed over time to focus more on food. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we still think of its opposite, not as fasting, mm -hmm. but as don't drink <laughs> to excess mm -hmm. tells mm -hmm. you really how important it is as a sin. Well, and that's you know? where I think, you know, the, the next part of that question is how would you intervene right. as a professor? And I think I would kind of posit that and be like, you know, what do you think of other kind of gluttonous behavior that is not centered on eating or drinking like, you know, I feel like Carrie Bradshaw with, you know, how like her consumption of shoes and fashion stuff, like, would you put Carrie Bradshaw in? Or mm -hmm. even just starting with, do you think gluttony is only about food? Right. Mm -hmm. Just the really basic root of the problem, which is that most people conflate mm -hmm. or yeah. at least assume that gluttony is just about food. Well, and this is where healthism enters, because the the counter argument that I can hear ringing down the halls in the background is, well, overconsumption of shoes isn't unhealthy like gluttony. So that's why it's not gluttony. Easily refuted uh, by showing them the price of shoes. Well, <laughs> well there's, the whole, uh, there's the whole episode where Carrie has literally, you know, shooed herself out of being able to buy her apartment because, you know, she just like, yes, every, but, it, all of her consumption goes think, to but, shoes. But, but the idea of health as a bodily institution, yeah. as the body as temple. I think you could but go, there's also, that is, you could that go is the direction of drinking alcohol mm -hmm. as gluttonous that wouldn't, I mean, I guess maybe as people. As its original attempt was. Well, and mm -hmm. there's a very good reason because of that, that we separate drugs, food, and alcohol. Like we don't think of alcohol as a yeah. drug. We talk about drugs and alcohol. Well, mm -hmm. right. We talk about food and drink. Like one of the interesting, interesting things that the pushback against gluttony, when people actively started trying to stop thinking of gluttony as being a food related sin was uh, the, the sort of the Royal French period of Versailles mm -hmm. when culinary art started elevating to the point where small portions of exquisitely prepared food became the norm. Then gluttony started changing its shape, right? Because again, the original definitions of gluttony wasn't just overeating. It was eating at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. It was being overly fussy about your food, mm -hmm. requiring your food to be a specific thing, right? Like that was gluttony, not just eating an extra piece of pizza. You know, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Well, and it's also, it's such a rich person problem. Yeah. You know, so, if you can barely survive on the food you're given, gluttony is probably not your sin. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Uh. Uh, <laughs> I have a rim shot in here somewhere, but I won't do it. Um, as a student, I would probably then respond, well, do you think overeating isn't gluttony? Right. 
And then, and I think that if, if I were a student not willing to listen, that's probably the route I would go and I wouldn't change my- I, I think well, I have, which is a legitimate <laughs> question. But I also have yeah. to push the question is when does it become overeating? Like at which bite am I now consigned to hell for well this done. capital sin? You're already fat, for the so you're capital already sin yeah. of gluttony. This is a capital sin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, deadly. It's if deadly. I finish the pizza slice, do I go to hell or do I need to eat a second one? No, you just got to you know? leave the crust. And <laughs> if, if I eat two slices of pizza and gain a pound, but Dan eats three and doesn't, mm-hmm. is he a sinner because he has committed the act of gluttony or is it simply the physical yeah. existence of my body that is sinful? That I think is exactly. How I think to Don, they that. consider that original sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to answer yeah. it. Yeah. So the next question in the series is, you know, assuming you find something objectionable, would you consider modifying the activity mm-hmm. um, to feature to different portions of the inferno? Or if you know we don't find it objectionable, why? Ah, uh, so much to say. Uh, so I know I would. I think. And I think this is a more interesting assignment just because otherwise, you know, it ends up being the like, well, Homer goes to gluttony because (laughs) and Mr. Burns goes to, you know, great. I would say, you know, give examples of people who, you know, fit these sins outside of the way we normally think of each sin. Mm hmm. So like Carrie, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm let, let me sending use, Carrie Bradshaw. Let me use Elon Shoot. Musk as an example. A man mm. who has the world's fortune at his fingertips and decides to spend billions of it so that he personally can go into space, as opposed to solving the world hunger problem, as someone pointed out, the three billion dollars mm. he's spent. And, like and which sin would you assign to that? Gluttony. Oh, all right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, no, it's because it's all for me. I get to do whatever I want Mm -hmm. with it. Screw you hungry people. Well, and my question is, I'm not sure I could, without a lot of thought and fumfering, distinguish between gluttony and greed. I mean, it's a longer debate. Yeah, yeah. I see them as being very similar, right? Yeah, but clearly the ancients or whomever wrote this see them as distinct. And I'm just curious why or how. And maybe that's a question for a classical scholar. Gwyneth Paltrow for gluttony. Oh, oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> of her, because of her fig- fig- because because it is all this, it is this cons- ridiculous consumption to not consume. Yeah. yeah it is, it is gluttony. It is gluttonous non-consumption. Right. It is, it's hmm. that choosiness. It's mm-hmm. that I'm only like, it is gluttonous. I think to be so particular about what you eat that you're rejecting all other forms yeah. of food. Like that is liter- mm. literally one of the mm-hmm. definitions yeah. of gluttony. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So as an overfocus or over attention to over finickiness. Over finickiness. Yeah. So I was wondering if the, to alter the assignment slightly, and this isn't even the assignment. This is just the way you present the assignment. It, would it be helpful to, and, and maybe they do this. I don't know, but to start with, you know we're examining a work of its time, kind of like what we said earlier about the movie, and that essentially like we're going into this period, into this mindset, into this work, and we're going to work within that. That doesn't necessarily mean, for instance, that the seven deadly sins are factual things that we all must mm-hmm. accept as the truth about life and society, and therefore fat people are gluttonous. Like, we don't have to then believe these things in order to study them. Yeah. Um, So this kind of gets to my point, having, having taught at various universities, when you're constructing a course, when you're constructing a syllabus and you, and you have this idea for the assignment like this, you have to keep going back. There are two things. Number one, you have to think about what is it I'm trying to teach with this exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the other is 
what, what am I going to do when this goes off the rails? <laughs> because I promise you both questions need to be considered. I've certainly had that experience where I've set up an exercise in class and it did not go where I thought it would go. Because that's because they're, you know, it's human beings. If anybody, anybody who's played D and D has this experience <laughs> as the dungeon master, like, nope, that's not where it's supposed no to be. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about, Dan. So, you know, you have to, you have to sort of build that in. And so the first question I would say, and I don't know which question this answers, or maybe it's all the questions. The first thing that I would say, like, if, if I'm designing this course, I'm like, okay, what is my focus? Why am I even teaching this? Like, what is my focus? What do I, you know, it's, it's part of your lesson objectives or part of your course objectives. What do you want people to come away with if you are teaching Dante's Divine Comedy? What are you teaching? Are, because you could turn the whole thing into a poetry class if you wanted to. You don't have to deal with any of this. You could just be about poetry and meter and Italian and, and Italian language and historical linguistics. You could do a whole course on just that. Or you could talk about, is this, is this a course in comparative morality? Or is this a course in early Christian thought? Or is this, a, what do you, what is your course about? Or what component of all of that does this figure into? That's a really good, sorry. So that's, so that's the first thing is like, what am I even trying to teach? Now, the second thing is, as I said, you've got this idea of I'm going to have the students, and this is very popular. Uh, it's very, it's very modern in the history of teaching. Like how do you know, how do my students relate to the subject? And I'll have them bring in contemporary references, which is usually a terrible idea because students are really super lazy about that. <laughs> they come up with gluttony, Homer done. Mm -hmm. they, that's really as far as they take it. So then the clever professor would then take that. You take this discussion, right? That we, that is on the boards. You have to discuss that in class because now you get the gold. Now you talk about, you know, what did, as you brought up, Don, like what did gluttony mean? What does gluttony mean? Are you equating gluttony with immorality or is it just a bad suggestion? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you really, this is where the gold is when you start to get under it. And the problem is, and I can assure you having taught, you don't have time for this discussion. Mm. You might have time to assign it as an essay, then you got to grade it. Uh, there, it is. It is. You could spend a week just on this assignment. So I'm, I'm very curious what did happen because this is all past tense. Like this yeah. all happened already. Yeah. Um, and for my money, it, it does come down to a question of like, what is the purpose of the course? Right. Like, because if the purpose of the course is to generate discussion about your own prejudices, there you go. I think it'll be fascinating. Yeah. 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 But if, but it's important, you know, are we discussing modern morality or early Christian thought when you get into that conversation? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because if you're trying to, if you're explaining Christian thought to me and I'm interpreting as you're telling me that's what morality should be, then we're going to have, that's well, a different, you know, everybody yeah. like common sense. Everybody thinks morality is synchronous. Like yeah. morality is whatever I think right now. <laughs> it's also one of those things where like the seven deadly sins mostly are not sins. They're, they literally are behavior suggestions and like, that's it. <laughs> like eating is not a sin. Even the Bible doesn't say it is. So I think the, the last question is interesting about, I mean, cause we've talked about kind of doing things differently, but uh, should students in a class about hell expect to encounter unpleasant things like this? And I think it mm. is, but I think how would you kind of like in the course description and kind of like content warnings about the class phrase this? Cause I think it's so interesting because I think there's an unpredictability to what baggage people are going to be bringing into the class. Yeah. Well, that's where you get into what Dan was saying, where like when you ask a student to walk in with, you know, modern examples, they're going to follow their own prejudice. That's just how it's going to go. 
Um, yeah, I mean, if, if your purpose in the assignment is to drive up prejudices, that is a great, this is a great way to start there. Yeah, 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 yeah I agree. Yeah, uh, but I think Trevor's point is, do you try to, is there a warning? Is there a, and I think there might be a way to do that in the course description. I don't think most professors would bother with it, but you could say something like, we're going to examine visions of hell as expressed in Dante's Infernal. Mm -hmm. That might give a clue, but you know, most people, I don't think that's enough I don't think people understand <laughs> and it's, it's why the humanities are so under, uh, underprized is because people think of, you know, classics as those old people who wrote silly ideas over there. They yeah. have no conception of how, no, how ongoing this is within well, the human and condition. I, I think what I would say, like if I was writing the court description, you know, um, what do you say? Depictions of hell, something as expressed in Dante's Inferno. And expressed in Dante's Inferno and how they shaped our personal and cultural biases today or how they compare and contrast with. Yeah, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, kind of what I was pointing at where like, you don't have to say, you know, this is truth. Mm -hmm. This is a work and we can examine it and compare it to how yeah. we carry it. Yeah. But that's actually going to be a big fight in the classroom. I can assure you. Oh, I, I, yeah. Because I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure. sure the professor is walking in with, this is a piece of literature, let's examine it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a bunch of students who are like, well, no, this is expressing the truth, except for this part that gets it wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's that is very much what's going to happen. But yeah. I think a good teacher is going to have to set that framework for the conversation Absolutely. outside of the Absolutely. material. You know? And it's, it's but I've, to, I've done but it many times. But to answer the question the guy's yeah. saying, I don't think that you can conceivably discuss the concept of hell without... Discussing the concept of sin, discussing the concept of pain, punishment, and all that stuff. Oh, of so course. I, I don't see how you could avoid some of these conversations. No, and, but what I think Trevor's pointing to- And I don't to, think you should. No, no, but I think what Trevor's pointing to is, or at least what I'm pointing to and what Trevor says, mm -hmm. is that people do not realize how personal this will get. Yeah, yeah right. That is very true. So here's an alt, here's an additional question that I the reader didn't, the writer didn't uh, ask us, but I'm curious what you guys think. You know, the, the listener writer is uh, grading the course. Yes. They're not teaching the course. Yes. There's a professor who's teaching the course and created this assignment. So what can the listener do, if anything, to enact whatever kind of change it is we think they should enact? Oh, I have several suggestions. Okay, <laughs> let's let's hear it. Well, again, I've been in this situation, right? Yeah. Not so much as a grader, but as being a professor like knowing that relationship of professor to grader to TA and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and again, the, the writer did not ask for these suggestions. So I'm just putting that out there mm -hmm. right now. Like yeah. this is giving advice for someone who never asked for advice. Um, but one thing that could be done is just kind of drop it into the professor's ear. Cause the professor may be only cursely, cursorily aware of this or not really care because there are so many other things going on at a higher level in the course that have to be gotten to, that have to be discussed. There's lecture planning. There's what slides am I going to use? There's a lot of that. So it may not have even come up in the professor's consciousness or as a matter of importance. So the first thing is to sort of alert. The second is to then like, why is this important? And see what, if there's an opening for that. And the third is, and this is kind of up to the professor and maybe could be made an offer by the, by the, uh, the grader. Is there an opportunity here for the PhD student who probably will become a professor in the future, mm -hmm. is there an opportunity to have the TA in this, this case maybe run that part of the class discussion, which the professor may be either unqualified for, just as like, let's say, a, you know, a thin cis het male, like never considered a lot of questions. 
Oh, I see. Okay. And, or, you know, just, or just the idea of it might make it interesting to have a guest speaker to come in and say, you know, here's what I thought. And here's what I thought of some responses. Mm -hmm. It gives the TA a little more autonomy. It depends on whether the professor can spare the class time. Cause I'm sure this was not budgeted for yeah. and a 10 minute discussion ain't going to cut it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it, it is a considerable use of class time. However, some professors might look on this as like, Hey, great. You want to take the class for an hour? You go. Mm -hmm. I would. Yeah. I think I, so I would love to hear back from this, from this listener mm -hmm. writer, because one thing that will really, and, and maybe if we do, you know, a follow-up mailbag, that would be great. Cause one thing we really need to know, I think to properly answer is what is the purpose of the class? You know, what is the, what is the goal? And maybe even more specifically, what is the goal of this assignment? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, God, you know, it's possible if you have some old timey professor, maybe, maybe tenured, although that's rare these days, uh, you know, they may not have clear course objectives. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, we talk about the inferno and I say what I feel like saying. Okay. And that could be it too. I'm just curious because we could, I think we could whittle down all of this discussion to, to a really clear response. Anyway, um, any final thoughts on Dante's Inferno? It's a hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> then there we go. Had two rough puns. Uh, no tip today. Nope. Uh, happy holidays. That's our tip today. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy Done. yourselves. Right. Take us into Bitworld. So since we dove into gluttony today, I figured we'd do a little dive into the history of the seven deadly sins and gluttony specifically. Okay. So what we now call the seven deadly sins were actually started out as the eight evil thoughts uh, written down in the fourth century by a Christian monk, Evagrius Ponticus, who was really just giving advice to other monks on what he thought were good ways to try and order your thoughts and your behavior to try and help you approach godliness. In case you're wondering how we know it's only for other monks, it's because that's the only people who could read in the fourth century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly enough, though, it was the eight evil thoughts that eventually became the seven deadly sins. Okay. Um, uh, including on that eight, that list of eight was gluttony, lust, greed, wrath, sloth, vanity, and pride. But what was the eighth deadly thought that we dropped when they became the seven deadly sins? One, disobedience. Mm. Two, mm. sadness. What? Three, lying. Or four, blindness or deafness. Interesting. Uh... Blindness or deafness in a literal sense? In a literal sense, being unable to see or hear. Uh, weird. I'm going to say, I think lying. I think deception. How can you be true to yourself and to God if you're lying to people? And I don't think that's covered by any of the others, is it? It doesn't <coughs> seem to be. I don't think. I'm also or maybe say. it's all of the above and he's <laughs> it's actually the 11 deadly sins. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm inclined to go with disobedience or lying. I'm going to say lying. We got one for lying. We got two for lying. Yeah. I'm going to go with lying just because. Ooh. I mean, keep it even. Mm -hmm. Well, like, and Trevor and, <laughs> you know, Trevor has told me many stories of his growing up in Catholic school. Oh boy. Uh, and his family's Catholic bent. And there's a lot about lying. Okay. Oh, Catholicism. Yeah. We're all in for the lying. But in fact, Disobedient? the correct answer is sadness. Sadness. Ah. You <laughs> cannot serve God if you are sad or unhappy. Well, I'll just lie and say <laughs> I'm happy. Apparently yeah. that's allowed. <laughs> I mean, lie about all of them. These are yeah. thoughts at this point, right? You could just, if lying isn't one of them, you could just lie. Well, maybe that's why lying isn't one of them. Because you can't lie in a thought. 
Oh, interesting. That's true. These are internalized. These yeah, aren't about yeah, telling yeah. other people. It's not, yeah, it's, That's where the seven deadly sins comes from. Then it's talking to other people. <laughs> right. And when you think about it, there are a lot of silent orders. So, oh yeah. You know, monastic orders. Right. So, so you're so literally just not lying. You're never lying because you're never speaking. Okay. okay. <laughs> interesting. The much less talked about seven heavenly virtues each mm. represent the opposite of the seven deadly sins. Today we call the opposite of gluttony temperance which isn't really especially food-oriented, which actually underlines the fact that people didn't really think of gluttony as an overeating thing. Mm-hmm. Originally, though, temperance was called fast, as in fasting. Yes. And boy, did some of these saints love to be seen not eating. <laughs> uh, saint Romald of Ravenna, Italy, was a very good example of the idea of fast as a virtue. Which of these is an example of his legendary temperance back in 1000 AD? One. He would wander the countryside smelling out good meals and then stare longingly at the food until the owner shared it. (laughs) Two, he would order ornate meals prepared, smell them, exclaim how much he wanted to eat them, and then send them back to the kitchen uneaten. Three, he would eat the same food as his donkey while on his pilgrimages. Or four, he starved himself to death while praying for rain. Oh, mm, I'm inclined that sounds... to give donkey or starving. I mean, you know, but the donkey may have eaten really well. But he, <laughs> did they have... The donkey died of gout. They, <laughs> they, saint, they, they had sainthood back then, right? Yes. So I feel like if he had died, they would have made him a saint, wouldn't they? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, you could perform miracles, not die, and then get sainted decades later. Mm. There wasn't I a think time limit. eating the same as his donkey. Okay, we got one for donkey eating. I'm going to say well, not don- <laughs> that's not what he said. Don. I'm going to also go with donkey. All right. Donkey. We got two for donkey eating. See, wisdom tells me I should just agree with Trevor. Um, well, hmm. we were all wrong last time. Yes, but I could have been lying. <laughs> <laughs> curses. Curses. Um, Never know the truth. I, I kind of like the idea that he starved himself to death praying for rain. I'm like, okay. I just pictured like he dies and then it starts raining. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. Uh-huh. Well, in fact, the answer is he would order ornate meals, smell them, exclaim how much he uh, wanted to uh, eat them and send them back. So to the beach. I'm sorry, Dan, but that's so performative. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah, God, okay. what a what a performance! I mean, just did he do it on his own, or did he have to make sure people were watching? Oh, had people watching? Uh, yeah, watching. I'm like, sure. That's why he did it in restaurants he and had, not with his own food. He had servants doing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Jeez. All right. Final question of the day. Over the centuries, gluttony has actually waxed and waned in the Roman Catholic Church's list of no nos. Uh, in 2003, a petition was presented to Pope Jean Paul II to remove gluttony as a capital sin. The central argument that the act of eating could not be sinful was what? One, if man does not consume all that God has given, then man shows disrespect to God. Oh, I like that. Hmm. Two, if eating is part of God's order, then not to eat is sinful. Three, God makes us eat and then makes the food taste good to show us that we should eat it. Mm. Or four, the petition was a promotion for McDonald's new McGriddle sandwiches. <laughs> oh my God. I the mean, first mis- one feels the most plausible. Mr. Pope, you think about eating a whole pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do it, but you think about I'm sorry, it. So which one is the reason? Which one is the reason? It was the, the central argument. I'm, I'm going with number one. Yeah, same. Yes. Number one, if Number man does one. not consume all that God has given, then man shows disrespect to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All three of you? Yes. Is ah. that too logical? That might be too logical. What is it? 
It is, in fact, God makes us eat and then makes the food taste good to show us we should eat it. <laughs> See, the problem with that argument, though, is that once you, you know, you could say, well, you know, the reason that gay sex is such is is so <laughs> necessary is because God makes us enjoy it. Or the reason that <laughs> you can you can yeah. you can use that you can there use you that go. for any argument. I think you need to talk to the Pope, Dan. <laughs> did you, so wait, Don, did you come up with the first one? Yes. Wow. You should have been on this committee. Yeah. <laughs> I think Don was a theologian in a past life. <laughs> I know what they want to hear. <laughs> theologian in a past life, screenwriter in a second life. <laughs> so dear listener, if you have some arguments on why or why not gluttony should be a sin, you could tell us all about them. Trevor, where could they do that? <laughs> oh, it just went out of his head. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just like suddenly doubted everything I know about this section of the podcast. <laughs> we're on Twitter and Facebook as the, wait, we're the we're on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on your preferred podcast platform. Support us on Patreon at <laughs> patreoncom Pod. See the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com, baby. You see what happens when Trevor doesn't eat enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, my stomach's growling because our sandwiches are coming. Yay. And maybe you're delivering our sandwiches. <laughs> oh. In <laughs> that you're, car. You're, you're, you open, you're, you're gently placing our sandwiches outside and you're pulling out your phone to take a picture to prove you delivered them. But we're hungry, so watch out, baby. <laughs> watch out. <laughs>